0: Um, So last week we started a little series, a little Easter series called Begin Again. It's just a little two-week series that we're going to finish up today. And last week we looked at three people. The first one, which you might imagine on Easter, is Jesus, right? And so Easter is all about celebrating Jesus. And so we looked at really the end of Jesus' life. We looked at the last few days, his death and his resurrection. And we looked at the fact that Jesus, like who he is, he's God. He's fully God, and he came here to become one one of us to choose to go to the cross for you and me. To choose, not just to die, but to suffer and die. And I think about that and still it blows my mind. No one forced him there. He chose the cross for us. To suffer and die to pay for the debt that you and I could never pay for. And he came because he loves us, right? Love for us is what drove him to the cross. And his power is what raised him from the dead. And so last week, we talked a lot about that, about how Jesus conquered death for you and for me, how he paid the price for you and for me. But then wrapped up in this story of grace and, and hope and forgiveness and peace of Jesus is also the story of two other people. And we spent some time looking at these two other people last week. And we said, these are two people that spent a lot of time with Jesus. These are two people that were two of his closest friends, two of his closest followers. They saw Jesus do amazing things, right? They saw him do miraculous things. They saw him heal people. They saw him cast out demons from people. They listened to him teach and preach and lead, right? So both these people spent a lot of time with him, two of his closest friends on earth. And both of these people would betray him in Jesus' last days. And so we looked at two of them, Judas and Peter. Judas is a guy who his betrayal of Jesus led to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And when he realized it, it says, the text is really strong here, it says he's overcome with remorse. He's overcome with regret. It doesn't say repentance. Repentance is different than remorse and regret. He's overcome with remorse. He's overcome with regret. And he does the thing um, that's permanent. He gives up. He takes his life. He goes and he hangs himself. And you know, we talked about this. We have a lot of grace groups, by the way. I would really encourage you. Like, this is a great way to develop relationships with people in the church. We had our grace group this past Wednesday, and we are talking about this. We spent actually a lot of time talking about Judas and his life. And you think, like, what? Like, he, he, he wasn't there three days later. When Jesus rose again. He gave up before that. And you think, what would have happened? You know, like how would how would history be different? If Judas didn't give up when he did, if, jo- if Judas would have just stuck around to see the resurrection, how could it have been different? But it wasn't. He uh, he ended everything and it's so sad. But then on a very parallel path to Judas is another guy named Peter. And Peter was a lot of the things that Judas was, right? Like he was one of his, cl- Jesus' closest followers. He was with him. He saw all the things that Jesus did. And he was also a guy who betrayed Jesus in his last days, in his final days. And he was a guy that felt just like Judas felt bitter regret, right? Like he realized what he had done to his best friend. And he felt the remorse of that. But unlike Judas, Peter didn't just immediately do something drastic. He didn't just immediately do something permanent in his pain. Instead, Peter gave himself a chance to begin again. And he was suffering, just like Judas, but he was learning during his suffering. And on the third day, after what happened to Jesus, after betraying the fr- his best friend, who was then killed, Peter learned that the tomb was empty, right? And soon he learned that his friend... Who had risen was not just his friend, but he learned that he was also his savior. And so beautiful, instead of Jesus like scolding Peter and and holding a grudge against Peter, being angry with Peter, he actually forgives Peter and he restores Peter. And so we looked at this passage, we kind of ended our time last week, we looked at this passage at the end of John, uh, the gospel of John, John chapter 21, where Jesus, uh, the resurrected Jesus, uh, has a meal with his disciples. He's sitting around the campfire with them, they're eating a meal Together, And he asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times. One time, for each time, Peter denied Jesus. He said, he said Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He asked him a third time, do you love me? Yes. He gets a little frustrated, right? He's hurt. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, he says, feed my sheep. He says, take care of my sheep. And he says to him, follow me. You know, he said, if you love me, love the things that I love. Live the way that I lived here and follow me. See, Peter screwed up big time, big time. But Peter didn't end it. Peter began again. And we ended our time last week saying that I think Jesus whispers those same things to our hearts as well. I think he gives us that same opportunity to begin again because we're not that different than Peter. Like, we weren't physically with Jesus betraying him, but think about how many times in your life you've betrayed God. Think about how many times in your life you've turned away from him. And I think Jesus whispers that same question in each of our ears. He says, do you love me? Steve, do you love me? Katira, do you love me? Right? And so the question is, how do we respond Peter said yes Lord and then Peter goes on which we're going to look at today and he lives this life of like love passionately loving and following Jesus and leading many many other people to do the same question is how about us like how do we respond when we hear that still small voice do you love me do you love me and so uh, some of us in here have, have made that decision. If you haven't, like when, when you feel that, when you feel Jesus talking to you, if you haven't, it's so good you're here. Like it's so good that you're here. And I want you to be, um, to feel safe, to feel comfortable. Like no one here is gonna pressure you or try to, ma- or try to manipulate you or try to make you make some sort of like uh, in the moment decision. But I really challenge you. The same way that, that Peter was challenged. Like, what are you going to do when Jesus whispers to you, do you love you? Because we all have to do something. So tonight, um, I want to look a little bit deeper at Peter, and it's a little bit broader than that, but I want to look a little bit deeper about Peter and what happens to him after he began again, and so what happens to us after we begin again, after we make that decision that we're going to follow Jesus, because I know this, ready, this is profound, this is going to blow your socks off, I know this for sure, ready, beginning again is only the beginning, it's not the end. Beginning again is only the beginning, it's not the end. Can I go off on a a little bit of a rabbit trail for a second? We're going to get to Peter here in just a second. But I want to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail that I think actually is really relevant to our discussion tonight. You know, a lot of times, uh, I bet you've experienced this, like a little distance, a little, a little time gives us a different perspective on things than many times when we're like right in the moment, you know? I remember in my own life, after I chose to trust Jesus, like after I began again, and for me, it was a pretty emotional time. Like, and it was kind of a time, like it was a very clear day. Not everybody has this, but for me, it was like a very clear emotional time where I put my stake in the ground, and I said, I'm his. I'm going to follow Jesus. Like I trust him, I accept his death this payment for me. Stake in the ground on this day, I'm going to follow him. But then I remember how many stupid things and and let's just be honest, sinful things, shameful things that I did after that day. Like after I put that stake in the ground. I did things, like these are things that were like so I was 20 when I when I made the decision to follow Jesus. For the first 20 years, were so deeply ingrained in who I was. It was like, even though these are things that I knew were dishonoring to God, even after I put that stake in the ground, I still struggled with these things. See, I was in college at the time. Which, by the way, I'm glad I didn't have little telephone cameras when I was in college. It's a, it's a little bit different today. But I remember, like, doing some of these things, like shameful things. And then when I was done, kind of similar to Peter and Judas, I would feel like this deep regret, you know like this deep remorse and then I would go to God and I would ask him for forgiveness and I would repent repenting is is turning away from something right so I'm headed in one direction pursuing the wrong thing and I'm turning away from it and saying God I'm gonna choose to follow you again I repented and then I would follow him pretty well for a while and then I do some other pretty rotten things and then I would feel that remorse and I'd feel that sadness and I'd go back to him and I'd say, God, I did it again. Lord, I'm so sorry and I would repent and the cycle just kept going on and on and on. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking like, what is wrong with me? I, it's, I don't think it should be this way, you know? Like, I made the decision to follow Jesus. I don't think I should be struggling with this thing. Like, did I, maybe I didn't make the decision. Maybe, maybe I, it was just like with my head and it wasn't my heart. Like, what is wrong with me? You know what was wrong? Like as I think back about it. You know what was wrong? I was human, right? I was, I was human. I still am, by the way. But I was human. I don't know where like we got this so twisted i hate it but for some reason many times we think a few things are true see if see if any of these resonate with you these are all fallacies these are all lies that are untrue about what it means to begin again we're gonna get to peter in a second but what it means to begin again first when we choose to follow jesus we got to be all cleaned up and kind of perfect or near perfect in order to choose to follow him I got I to get my life clean before I can do that. Because I know to be a Christian means I got to live a certain way, right? And so I got to get my life all cleaned up beforehand, before I can be a Christian. Whatever that means, like whatever cleaned up means, like, you know, I got to be better than that guy, you know? Whatever that means. It's stupid. It's, it's stupid. Jesus didn't come for good, clean, awesome people. <laughs> he came to save sinners. Like that, that's why he came. He came for people that were dirty. He came to make us clean and to make us better. He doesn't require that at the front end. Or we think that after we choose to follow Jesus, we're immediately like all of these, these deeply ingrained sinful habits that we've struggled with for all of our life leading up to that. After we follow Jesus, they're all going to be gone. Like, uh, we are we're talking in our men's group this morning. It's like, uh, salvation is a vaccination for sin. Like, once I choose Jesus, once I begin again, it's like I'm vaccinated. And I'm not going to struggle with sin anymore. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We know that. Right? i bet, I bet I'm not the only one. I'll bet you've experienced that in your life too. It's completely untrue. Now listen, sometimes God delivers people from sinful struggles. He does that, but I think that's the exception. There's a passage in uh, Philippians 2. I love this passage. It sounds like a little bit of an anomaly at first, but this is what it says. Philippians 2, 12, last part of 12 and 13. So Paul's talking and he says, he's writing to Philippians, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is." Is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you. Guys, this is what we do. Like, this is what we do. We make a decision to follow Jesus and then we like work it out in our lives. It doesn't just happen like that, where now I'm perfect. Now I don't have struggles. Now I'm clean. Now I don't have any problems. We spend time fleshing it out in our lives as we make decisions to not do the shameful stuff that we know hurts God, that we know is against what God teaches us, and we make decisions to do the right sort of things. And it takes time. Like, it takes time for us. And when we mess up, and we will, when we mess up, he forgives us. We go to him and we go, Dog, God, I did it again, God. And we ask him for his forgiveness. And as we make those decisions, we don't do it alone. He works in us, which is incredible. Like, I hope you're not trying to do this on your own. I don't know where you're, where you're at. If you're following Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you're not trying to do it on your own. You have this incredible promise in the Bible of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit living inside of you to change you. And somehow, in some way, you and I cooperate with the Spirit to become more and more like Jesus. I don't understand how it happens. In some way, I'm responsible to make some good decisions and not make bad decisions. And in some way, God is changing me from the inside out. And it takes time. And many times in the moment, we can't see the changes that we make. But once we're Distanced from it a little bit we can look back and we can go man I was really different back then I I remember how I used to live I remember my thought process with things back then and a little time a little distance shows us how far God has taken us so those, those are a couple lies that we believe first I gotta be perfect in order to make a decision to follow Jesus I gotta be perfect in order to begin again second after I make a decision to follow Jesus I'll never struggle with sin again both of those are baloney how about this one one more is another lie that we believe sometimes, that our salvation, this is huge, I believe this for a long time, our salvation is the end goal. This is a lie, that our salvation is the end goal. I believe this for a long time, that the goal is to get us saved, and then we're done, then we're good. As long as I'm saved, as long as I know where I'm going to be after I die, I'm good. Jesus calls our salvation being born again in John chapter 3. Actually, Peter calls it that as well in in 1 Peter chapter 1. What is being born? Well, it's it's the beginning, right? When we're born, that's, that's the beginning. What happens after you're born? Well, you live your life, right? Being born again is just the beginning. Beginning again is just the beginning. Our salvation is just the beginning. Listen, Christianity is not just about getting saved. It's not just about like, avoiding hell in the future and just sort of chilling and waiting for either Jesus to come back or me to die. That's not what Christianity is. I don't know what that is, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is about coming into a relationship with Jesus and sealing my eternity... Right? And then being a witness for him. Being a witness for him. Here in this life, as I follow him and I help others come into a relationship with him as well. Choosing to trust in and follow Jesus is only the beginning. Like, that's just the start. And then we got some work to do. Then you and I, which we're going to talk about this in a little bit, then you and I get to be his witnesses. Then you and I get to be used by him in other people's lives. That's like the fun part when we get to see change. We get to be a part of change in other people's lives. This is what we do when we make the decision to begin again. And this is what Peter did too. So I want to spend the rest of our time and I want to look at Peter and what he did and what he wrote about after he betrayed Jesus, after he was forgiven, after he was restored by Jesus, until he was eventually killed for believing that Jesus was the risen Savior of the world, right? Up until that time, that's what I want to look at, his life after he began again. So I want you to open up your Bibles if you would to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is uh, toward the very end of your Bible, so it's real close to the end. I think there's six books after it, but five of them are really short, so it's really close to the end of your Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have a whole table full of them back there. We'd love for you to have one. I think it helps to have it like you're looking at it. I think that's helpful. Some people like to look at it on your phone. It's totally cool. If you don't have a Bible... To take with you, like you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take one of those with you. It's yours um, as long as you read it. You just got to promise to read it that you can have it, okay? So anyway, um, 1 Peter, as you're opening up to 1 Peter, let me just kind of give you the Cliff Notes version of what happened to Peter after Jesus restored him, after Jesus was ascended up into heaven. In a nutshell, Peter goes on to be in the early church, after Jesus, Peter goes on to be really the very clear first leader of the church. Like he is the one who picks up the torch after Jesus ascends into heaven. He's the one who picks up the torch, and he's the one who leads the church. So after Jesus ascends, you know, let me just give you kind of a, a, a quick rundown of the first part of, of Acts. After Peter ascends, oh, I'm sorry, Peter didn't ascend, Jesus ascends, Peter then takes charge. And what he does, um, as, as the disciples are together, Jesus ascended, as the t- disciples are together, they're reading the scriptures, and Peter says, listen, as I understand the book of Psalms, we need to replace Judas. Judas has uh, killed himself, and so now there's 11 of us, we need to replace him. And so he kind of led the way in replacing him, and they cast lots, and the lots to Matthias. And so in Acts 1, it talks about uh, Peter kind of leading this group of of disciples to choose a new disciple, to choose a new apostle, Matthias. In Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. And at Pentecost, Pentecost, by the way, so Jesus, the last supper, right before Jesus died, is the Passover, right? Fifty days later, Pentecost, is, is 50 days later after that, Peter preaches his first sermon. So this is like the first sermon, apparently, in the church. And Peter preaches it, and guess what happens? This is in Acts 2. Guess what happens? 3,000 people, 50 days after Jesus ascends, 3,000 people make decisions that they want to become followers of Jesus. They make decisions that they want to begin again. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter uh, preaches more and he heals people. He heals a crippled beggar and he preaches to onlookers as they see this miracle that he does. In Acts chapter 4, he's preaching to the Sanhedrin. The, The Sanhedrin is the Jewish ruling body. And eventually he and John are arrested, but he shares with them the good news about Jesus in Acts chapter 5 Peter takes the role of a judge you should read this it's kind of a crazy story it's about Ananias and Sapphira and they make some bad decisions and Peter pronounces as the leader of the church Peter pronounces judgment upon them and God slays them done gone crazy. Acts chapter 9 kind of goes a little silent on Peter for a little bit. When you get to chapter 9, he goes out and he's like a missionary then. And he's a healer. He continues to heal people. So he goes out around the country and he tells people about Jesus. And he heals people. And he actually heals, he actually brings somebody back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit back to life from the dead in the name of Jesus. And then you get to chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision from God. So all of a sudden, like the, the apostle the at that point felt like salvation was for Jews. Okay? And then all of a sudden he has this vision from God, and God basically says in a nutshell, no, 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 this isn't just for Jews, this is for everybody. Gentiles are included too. You know what a Gentile is? Gentile is basically a non-Jew. So if you're not Jewish, like me, then you're a Gentile. So you should be pretty glad about Acts chapter 10, because all of a sudden you got included in salvation, just like I did. And so, then, the, it's kind of silent. The New Testament's actually kind of silent. You don't hear much about Peter after Acts chapter 10. But we have some extra biblical writings and what we find out is that Peter then apparently goes to Rome and either he starts or he grows the church in Rome and leads the church in Rome where eventually he's killed. Eventually he's martyred which is to be killed for the faith, for his faith. And again last week we said he was crucified. So the emperor at that time was Nero. Eventually in the early uh, 1st century, mid 1st century, it becomes dangerous to be a Christian. Right? And so last week we said all the apostles except for John were actually killed. All these guys that ran away from Jesus, betrayed Jesus, ran away from him, eventually all died for believing that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So Peter was no exception to that. The Emperor Nero made it very dangerous to be a Christian, and he had Peter killed, crucified. But Peter didn't want to be crucified like Jesus was crucified because he didn't feel like he was worthy. And so he requested that he be crucified upside down, right? So before Peter died, he wrote some letters, and in those letters we get to hear a little bit of the heart. It's powerful. We get to hear a little bit of the heart of this guy who failed big time. And if you read, if you read in the gospels, you see like how many boneheaded things Peter did. That's why I love Peter. Like he was kind of a knucklehead. I mean, he was he was the kind of like first, think later kind of guy, right? But You get to see how this guy, his heart, who as he failed so many times, what it was like for him as he began again and grew and learned and followed Jesus eventually with a reckless abandon, an absolute reckless abandon. So here's what I want to do. There's so much that we could pull out of this letter. We should do an entire series. We will do an entire series on First Peter at some point. There's so much that we could pull out of this. But what I want to do tonight is just focus us on three things that I think will challenge us and focus our hearts as we think about what life looks like for us as we begin again. What life looks like after we make a decision to follow Jesus. What does life look like after that? So I want to pull out three things that this, this formerly betraying, impetuous first think later coward named Peter learned as he grew and matured as a follower of Jesus. Ready? So here's what I want to do. I want to read you actually a few passages and I want you to think about them. They're all related and I want you to think about this. What are these passages challenging us toward? Okay? What are these challenging us toward? These are all written by Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 13 that's what I said. I think we're going to throw them on the screen. Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you once lived, when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I, God, am holy. Uh, 1 Peter one twenty two. Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. How about chapter 2, 1 through 3? Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. How about this one? Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Last one. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wound you have been healed, for you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what are all those things about? Here's, here's how I understand it. Here's, here's how I kind of deal with all of these passages. how I say it. Beginning again is about the freedom to live a changed life. When we begin again, all of a sudden we have freedom to live a life that's very, very different. And guys, this is huge. This is huge. Beginning again with Jesus changes us it makes us different. And listen, don't you dare think, don't you dare think that when I, like, when I read that stuff that it's all about like following a bunch of rules. Like, oh, that's what Christianity is. Now we're getting to it, right? Like, I, gotta, I have to have holy living. I gotta do this and do that and don't do that. You're gonna take away all my fun and make me do, like, lame stuff. Don't you dare for a second think about that. Because that's not what Christianity is. It's not like you know we're following a bunch of rules and then if you break the rules, you're out, That's not Christianity. Or like it's a bunch of rules that are just made to make life no fun and boring. That's not Christianity. In fact, it's just the opposite. All of a sudden, when we begin again, when we trust and follow Jesus, no longer are we slaves to sin. We're free. Like, we're free. No longer are we enslaved to do the rotten stuff that like we we might think about like have this illusion that doing the rotten stuff, doing the wrong stuff is fun and doing the right stuff's lame. That's not true. Like that's a lie from the devil. Doing the right thing is always better. You know why? This is how God set it up. You know why? Because doing the right thing, doing things the way that He tells us to do them, you know what it leads to? The fullness of life. It leads to abundance in life. It it leads to a meaningful life, to live life to the fullest. And we don't always immediately realize that. We don't always immediately feel that when we do the right thing. But we always eventually realize that. Let me tell you a story. I asked permission if I could share this with you. He said, yeah. I met this week with um, a guy who uh, comes here it's awesome and God has done an incredible work in God is doing an incredible work in so he has a long past with drug abuse like substantial drug abuse some alcohol abuse in there as well and uh he he enjoyed it <laughs> he's like I'm not going to lie it was fun like it was fun to go out and to party And he struggled and and then he came to know Jesus and he lived clean for a while and then he kind of went back to it and then he got clean for a little while more and then he would go back to it and he'd hide it. By this time he had a wife, he had kids and he'd hide it so nobody would see it. And eventually he got, I guess, rock bottom and he got caught. He got caught by them. And his wife said... Uh, If you don't change, if you don't stop it, we are done. And you will not see your kids anymore. And this is what he said to me. I wrote it down. He said, hey man, doing drugs and partying was fun, I'm not going to lie. But if it led to me losing my wife and kids, I am not going to be that guy. See, this guy found out that like, what you have to, to give up eventually for doing the wrong thing is so much more important, is so much better, so much more meaningful than any fun and good memories that you gain from doing the wrong thing, right? Like what you have to give up in the long run is so much more meaningful than any short-term fun that we have from doing the wrong things. He felt that. He felt that. And Peter did too. Like Peter knew how important the way that we live our life is. You know, just like Peter, we got to let our baggage go. Like We've got to let our mistakes go. We learn from them. Sometimes we need to ask forgiveness from other people. Sometimes we need to make amends for those things. But then we've got to put it behind us because it's the old life. It's the old, like we're done with that life. After we begin again, we're done with that. We don't hold on to that baggage anymore and let it encumber us. It's gone. We've been forgiven by the God of the universe. He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. How we live as followers of Jesus now is what's important. It's important to God, and it's important to the world. Think about how you live your life and God. Think about how you live your life and God, who God is. The one who saved us is holy. Like that That's who he is. I, I read that passage to you before. Be holy because I am holy. All right? be holy because I am holy. The one that we're choosing to follow is holy. And he has expectations for us. And so because he's holy, we look to live holy too. Not out of like strict obedience, you know? Or like I have to do this. Or like fear of punishment. That's not why we do it. But we do it because I love God. Like I've made a decision to follow him. And so I want to be like him. I want to live like him. And when I mess up, I admit it. Right? I ask for forgiveness from him. I turn away from it. And then you know what I do? I stand back up, I dust myself off, and I keep going, and I keep following him. How I live my life matters to God, especially when I'm trying to follow him. And think about this, how I live my life matters to the world. It makes a huge impact on the world. We're called to be different. You know, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we're not called to be just like our neighbors, we're not called to be just like everybody else that we might hang out with. We're called to be different. And like, it doesn't mean that, it's always, uh, that people always get that either, right? Like when I live my life different, sometimes people don't get that. And sometimes people aren't happy with that. Peter knew that too. In fact, he said this in chapter four, he said, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. He says, they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Like the way you live, what you do, it's gonna make an impression on people. And sometimes that means that we're misunderstood. Sometimes it means that that we're not liked. Sometimes it means that we're abused. Sometimes maybe it means that we're made fun of. But many times, it also makes an impression on people for Jesus, for people that are seeking to know him. Peter discovered that. Chapter 2, he said, "Live, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Because see guys, beginning again, what it does is it gives me opportunity after opportunity to be used by God. When we live our lives differently, when we live our lives for Jesus, when we live our lives seeking holiness, seeking to live the way that he designed us to live, it gives us opportunity after opportunity to be used by God. I don't know about you, but I desperately want to be used by God. Like I spent the first 20 years of my life doing it my way, not caring what God thought, wanting to follow what I wanted in selfishness. I don't want that to define the next 20 years of my life or 40 years, or 60 years, or however many God has given me. I want to experience the power. I hope you feel this way too. Like, I hope you're along with this. I want to experience the power of God in my life right now. And I want other people to see it. And I want to be able to be a witness for him. That's what the Bible calls us. You and I are witnesses. In Acts 1-9, where it says that that we are Jesus' witnesses on on this earth, that we will testify to others with truthfulness on behalf of who he is and what he did. And, and, And God will give us the words to share with people. Like when we're followers of Jesus, we get to stand up for him. He puts us, like when we leave here, we'll go to a variety of different places, all over the place. Wherever you go, God calls you to be a witness right there for him, to testify to the truthfulness of who Jesus is. And if we're looking for it and we're living right, he will give us opportunity after opportunity to be used in other people's lives to help Jesus make sense, our first value up there. And, and you know what else Peter calls us in in his letter? This is this is fascinating. Sometimes it can get, can get confusing for us because we don't function this way today. But he talks about us being a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. You know what, you know what that means? Like when, when the Bible calls us, you and me, a kingdom of priests, you know what priests were? Priests were people that were like the intermediaries between God and everybody else. They were like the go-betweens between God and everybody else. And so these were God's set-apart people people who had special access to him, to minister with intimacy before God, but also had a responsibility to serve and to minister to people. That's what God calls us. We're like the go-betweens. We get a chance to teach people about who God is, and we get a chance to minister to them in the name of Jesus. This is what we do. When we begin again, God gives us opportunity after opportunity. And, And let me say this, responsibility. We have the responsibility. to minister to other people in the name of Jesus. That is a huge, huge privilege. Let me ask you this. When is the last time in your life you witnessed, you were a witness for Jesus or you were a priest for Jesus where you ministered to other people And you told people, you declared to anyone who would listen. That's what Peter said. Declared to anyone who would listen the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, into his marvelous light. That's a challenge for us, right? God gives us opportunities if we're looking for them. And if we're living our lives in obedience to him out of love. This, by the way, is why we're stepping out and doing this. Like this, is, this is why we're starting this campus. You know, We want to be used by God. We want to give our lives away generously, not for what we could receive. We're willing to step out and be a little bit uncomfortable to be used by God to be a witness for Him, to be a kingdom of priests for Him right here. Because we look at this community and say, we love this community, and there needs to be some help. And we want to be part of the solution. We want to move toward the messes in people's lives. And we want to help. We want to generously give our lives away. I think that's what Jesus meant in Matthew 10. He said, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When we give our lives away, man, we receive so much in return. When I give my life in service to others in the name of Jesus, in the name of the gospel, man, it makes me feel good, you know? Like when I live not focused on myself, it makes me feel good. You know what I think the, uh, the scariest thing, see if you agree with this, what I think maybe one of the scariest things, I think it is the scariest things that human beings uh, can ever face. You know what I think it is? The unknown. I think the unknown is something like, something or someone that's unknown to us can bring such Terror to us, it could be so frightening to us when we don't know what to expect. I remember when I was younger, I go to, we went to Cedar Point, and it used to be when you walked. I don't think it's there anymore. When you walked into Cedar Point, uh, like the first ride that was there was the Demon Drop. You guys remember the Demon Drop? I think that I think it's gone. The demon drop is like nothing compared to these crazy rides that they have nowadays. But when I was a kid, you walked in and the demon drop like struck fear in my heart. I was terrified of the demon. It's a scary name for one thing, right? But this thing was huge and it just drops straight down. And I was terrified to go on it. And eventually I got I got up the courage. And it's terrible because there was like a three-hour line. So you got three hours to just sit there and go, what is this gonna be like, you know? But I go on it and uh, it was terrible. But once I was done, you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go on it again, right? Because now it was scary, but now I knew what to expect. And so it wasn't as scary for me. The unknown is scary to us. But once we've experienced it, whatever it is, it's not nearly as scary. I remember having fear about God. I remember remember having a lot of fear about God. Maybe you did too. Maybe you still do. I don't know. But I used to think that my fear of God was maybe because of like some wrong teaching that I had experienced in the past. And maybe that's true. But as I was thinking about it this week, I think the fear that I had for God was because I didn't know who God was. Right? Like when I was younger, I knew, like I had heard about God. I knew of God. But I didn't know God. And what I knew about him was scary. Scary. Like he's holy and he's all powerful and he's just and he's righteous and he has the power to sentence you and me to hell. Like what I knew about him was terrifying to me. You know, I know the Bible, the Bible talks about us fearing God, and there's a healthy fear of God that we should have. We're supposed to fear God, sort of the realization of and respect of who he is, his awesomeness, his power. I get that. I get that. I truly do. But you know what? The kind of fear that I used to feel about God is very different than the fear of God that I have now. You know why? Because now I know Him. Now I know Him. See, guys, beginning again, it gives me confidence. It gives me security. It gives me hope because I know God. Peter knew this. I mean, obviously, he knew God the Son, right? I mean, he spent time, he knew Jesus intimately, in the flesh. He spent all kinds of time with him. He saw him laugh. He saw him love people. He saw him teach. He saw his heart. He saw him angry. He saw the things that made him angry, right? Right? And and Jesus said in uh, the Gospel of John, He said, "I and the Father am one." Right? He said, "If you know me, you know the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father." So Peter knew Jesus, and so Peter knew God very well. And knowing God gave Peter confidence and security and hope as he lived his life following Jesus with an absolute reckless abandon. And knowing God does the same for us too. It does the same thing for us. I want you to listen to these verses. These are just a few more and then we're done. A few more Peter's verses. that um, I want you to listen to them like he's writing them to you. Okay, Because in some sense, all of the Bible is not just written to the original listeners, but it's also written to us as well. I want you to listen to these as Peter's writing to you. To God's elect, God's chosen, to have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. That's how he starts out his letter. If you know Jesus or you want to know Jesus, you are chosen by God. You are his elect. He handpicked you. He chose you. Verse three, praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded, protected by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, he says, you greatly rejoice. He's given you new birth. He's your father. He calls himself our father. You have a living hope. You have an inheritance, an eternity that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, that you were purchased from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You were redeemed. You were purchased. You are no longer yours, but you are his. You are the property of Jesus. He saw value in you. Knowing all of the rotten things that you would do in your life. And I, just, I, I see rotten things in you right now. I know you did. Knowing all of that, he purchased you. He redeemed you. He chose you with the blood of Jesus. How about this one? It's a short one. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you feel anxious, when you feel stressed when you feel burdened, when you feel beaten down, you can turn it over to him. He cares about you. He loves you. He knows you intimately. And he wants you to know him and have the peace and the security and the hope that comes with that. See, when you know Jesus, you can live your life with hope. And hope is a powerful thing. You can live your life without fearing anything that this world has to offer. You can, Because you know Him. You know the one who's in charge of everything. You know the one who created everything. So we don't need to fear anything. But instead we can live our lives with reckless abandon. But first we have to begin again. I was at... Uh, hospice yesterday a friend of mine is dying and uh, he he's double my age I think he's almost 80 years old and he is an incredible man an incredible man and uh, I went to see him yesterday and he took a downturn quick his body is just ridden with cancer And he's been sick for a while, probably a couple years. He's had cancer and he had some times when he was doing a little bit better and then he was doing a little bit worse. And uh, through it all, it's been amazing, his faith and his attitude. He's not fearful. He was never fearful. He said, you know what? If I live, that's awesome because I love my family. I want to be there for them. I want to see my grandkids get older. But if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. He wasn't worried about it, and so I went. I went with him yes, to visit him yesterday, and there's a couple other guys there, and we're praying for him. And then they left. And I wanted just to get a couple more minutes with them. He's very frail. He's very thin. He's he's on a lot of drugs, but his mind is there. And I said, Dave, I said, how you feel? he said you know i feel okay i got a lot of stuff in me you know i'm not in pain i said no like how do you feel spiritually and emotionally and he said the same he doesn't fear he knows where he's going he knows the one who he's going to see and i don't know how much time you spent with somebody that that you know is dying soon that can talk to you but it's almost a surreal experience because I sat there and I looked in his eyes and I thought, in a few days, I don't know how many, in a few days, those eyes are going to be looking into Jesus' eyes. Guys, I don't know where you're at. Like, I don't know where you're at in your faith and your relationship with God. But I hope that you've experienced him. Like, I, I, I hope that, that you don't walk out of here Think, um, feeling like God is still an unknown God to you, that he's the unknown? Because the truth is he loves you and he wants you to know him. Like he wants you to experience who he is. And if you haven't yet, again, you're safe here. Like no one, I, I will never try to manipulate you. You make your own decisions. Don't feel pressure. But I would really challenge you to ask some questions because we're all going to be accountable one day we're all going to be accountable for what we do with Jesus. I'd I'd encourage you to go into the Gospels, first four books of the New Testament, and just read. Like instead of going home tonight, instead of turning on the TV, just, just read. Just see what he says. Just see who Jesus is and what he did because he wants you to know him. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right, to die for you and for me. And whoever believes in him, whoever follows him, won't perish at least not eternally but we'll have a chance to experience everlasting life where there's no more pain there's no more mourning there's no more crying there's no more death none of those things they're all gone he calls you and he calls me the question is will we answer